In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. In Jane Austen's novel, Sense and Sensibility, we see uh, Mr. Dashwood die at the very beginning of the novel. Mr. Dashwood had two families. He had a first wife who bore him a son, and then a second wife who's still alive with three daughters. The son receives all the property of Mr. Dashwood, and it turns out that John Dashwood is a greedy and selfish man who provides nothing for his uh, uh, stepmother and his sisters. It's up then to our heroine Eleanor, the eldest of three daughters, to help her mother in securing a home for them, a place where they can be close to family and provide for themselves. Uh, they have a very limited budget, and uh, they have very few relations who will help them. And it is Eleanor's sense, her ability for rational thought and for um, thinking things through and making a plan and making good decisions and her sensibility, which is her ability to perceive uh, beauty and grace in other people and in nature uh, to secure them a home. And they're successful finally in doing that at Barton Cottage. And uh, they end up making um, friends and uh, being introduced to society that's beneficial for the marriage of the two oldest daughters. It's this desire for a home, this desire to have a place to belong and to feel safe and to blossom as a family that is at the heart of not only human experience but of Holy Scripture. This is the place that David finds himself here in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7, 2 Samuel, excuse me, chapter 7. Uh, David has secured himself a home with the throne and he is at rest. This is the apex of David's career. This is the climax of his ministry. It's um, somewhat downhill after this uh, with his son Absalom and with that uh, incident with Bathsheba uh, and uh, all the headlines of his life, um, the big uh, incidents that we like talking about, uh, the killing of Goliath and the um, you know, fighting against Saul and his uh, life as a shepherd are all behind him. He's finally um, defeated Saul uh, and, the, and the armies. He's um, now the king of all Israel. He's defeated the Jebusites, who had still held um, this high point of Mount Zion. He has cleared them away, and he has fixed his throne now in this uh, very important, uh, central part of Israel. And he's able to build himself this house of cedar. And then he looks around, and he realizes that the worship of the Lord um, doesn't have a home. The place where the Lord would be worshipped um, is not secure. You'll remember that it's been two generations now that the ark has been separated from the tabernacle. you remember that when they come out of Egypt, uh, the Lord gives very careful and long instruction to Moses and to the people for the building of a tabernacle, the place where the Lord would dwell, and for the ark of the covenant to hold the Ten Commandments, among other things, that would be the center of their life of worship. And you remember that it was two generations ago under Eli that the ark was lost to the Philistines in battle. And it's with the Philistines for a long period of time and they finally get it back, but it doesn't get um, back to the central place of worship. Uh, they're not able to move it. And the tabernacle is in a separate place. So the ark and the tabernacle now for generations have been separate. And so there's no home place, no unified place for the worship 
of God. And David feels this strongly now that he and his, um, his family and his throne are secure. And he says to Nathan, his prophet, uh, the Lord needs a home. I need to have a central place uh, for the ark to dwell so that we can worship. And, and at first, Nathan just responds from himself, right? He kind of, uh, you know, shoots from the hip and he says, hey, that's a great idea you've got there, right? Uh, and then the Lord later on speaks to Nathan and he says, uh, I've got bigger plans than that. I've got bigger plans than that. And I've never needed a house before to rule over Israel. And the plan that the Lord gives to Nathan is a dynamic one that is multi-layered and can be very difficult for us to understand. When we think of prophecy, when we think of prophets or prognosticating or forecasting, we think about, uh, you know, what's the score of the game going to be or where's the market going to be in a year or a couple of weeks. We think of these very flat kind of fixed things. It's very difficult for us to, to perceive uh, the future and to perceive the world and our place in it the way that the Lord does with all of these uh, multiple variables and with all these layers of meaning. And this is what the Lord gives to the prophet Nathan. He says, yes, I will build a house and yes, I will have a, a person on the throne. And uh, he says, yes, that um, David will have an heir and I will treat him as a son. And this is fulfilled uh, first in Solomon. Right, so David does have an heir. He does have somebody who sits on the throne. He does uh, allow Solomon to build a house of stone, right, the temple of Solomon, and the ark is placed within that temple. But then when we read here, we see that um, there are multiple fulfillments. There's multiple understandings of this throne and of uh, this house that the Lord builds for himself. We start to see that he's not just talking about Solomon anymore. He's talking about something much greater. He's talking about a fulfillment um, that's even greater than that. Because he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom, of his kingdom forever. And then we have to stop and think, well, that, that can't be Solomon, right? Because Solomon doesn't live forever. And, and, and we know uh, that um, the people of Israel go through a very difficult time, and it's not too much longer after this that the kingdom gets split and that um, they get sent away to Babylon. And so how can we read this forever peace? Um, and, and we read again, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So we see in this promise that the Lord is saying, yes, I have done it in Solomon. Yes, I am going to do it more fully in this forever. And then this promise that there enemies will forever be removed from them as a promise that has yet to be fulfilled, that we still have not seen fulfilled. So like so many of the promises of God, it has been fulfilled and it is being fulfilled and it will be fulfilled. It is this dynamic, multi-layered process that the Lord is slowly bringing us into an understanding and through his grace. And we see in Luke's gospel, we see the fulfillment of this promise in its miraculous nature for this kingdom being established forever. At first, when we read Luke chapter 1, we think, oh, this is a reminder, right? The archangel Gabriel comes uh, to a specific place in a specific time, and sometimes people think, oh, there's this kind of ephemeral 
quality to the scriptures or uh, you know what do we know about the details and all that scripture takes a very um, hard um, understanding it really works to fix a very specific time in a very specific place for very specific people this is um, very accurate history we read about a specific time um, in the city of Galilee of Nazareth um, to Joseph who was of the house of David and our ears immediately should say Oh, the house of David? Because if you remember, the house of David, we thought had been practically extinguished when they had gone into Babylonian exile over 500 years before. There has been no king in Judah. There has been no king of Israel, right? That, that line, we think, gee, maybe it's been preserved, but there hasn't been a king in place. But now we read, that he is of the house of David. And we know that Mary is of that same house because they, they intermarried according to houses. And he greets her with this incredible greeting, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Not is going to be with you. He is with you. She is favored by God. And he says that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon her and... A child will be born who will be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, and to him will be given the throne of his father David. So now we have his divinity, Son of the Most High God, joined to humanity, his father David, and all of human nature is forever changed in that moment. It's not just the flesh of the virgin that's transformed and affected. It is all human flesh, all of creation that is forever changed when his divinity is joined to humanity. We become, we become able to be joined to that divinity as well. Our flesh and our nature has been changed so that we too can be transformed by that divinity. And so when the power of God comes upon the virgin, the promise that is made to King David a thousand years before is fulfilled in this new and powerful and dramatic way. And we read um, that his kingdom will have no end, which we say in the Nicene Creed. And somehow, sometimes some people forget what that really means because they preach some crazy things like millennialism, that there's going to be a time when the kingdom of God ends and that there's going to be some kind of a kingdom of Satan or somehow this kingdom is going to come to a closing time and that is totally repugnant to scripture. His kingdom has been established and it will have no end. He sits upon the throne of David and we are invited to be citizens in that kingdom. We are called to participate as citizens of this kingdom to receive the flesh of the most high God born of the virgin to be transformed and to be in this house of David, this home of God that is no longer a tent and no longer a place with stones, but has become a home of flesh. We become the house of God. We become the place where God dwells when we gather in his name and when we invite him into our heart in baptism and receive his body and blood, we become temples 
of the Most High God. We become living stones, dwelling places for God to, to sit and to be king. And Mary's response to that is, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She says, I am your servant. I will be obedient to all that you have said. And Mary for us is this model of faithful living and humility before the Most High God. St. Paul describes it for us in his letter to the Romans, chapter 16. He shows us that the Lord would strengthen us for understanding. He says that the gospel has been given to strengthen us and to reveal the mystery. Why would God do this? Why would he reveal all these mysteries to us? Why would he reveal this to Mary? Why not just come upon her, right, um, and, 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 um, and, and cause the Lord to be born? Why does she have to understand? Why do you and I have to understand? Why, why do we have to have this revelation? Because we are body, mind, and spirit. Because we are human persons. Because the, the ability that we have to imagine and to understand and to reflect upon God in his ways is central to who we are. We have to be able to think and to, to reflect upon God's ways. He would transform the way that we imagine, the way that we see each other, the way that we see the world, and he would bring us into new understanding and so that we are able to be obedient the way that Mary is obedient. He says to bring about, the mystery has been revealed, to bring about the, what? The obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Do you see how they go together? Faith and obedience. Sometimes people talk about faith like it's this mysterious kind of ephemeral thing that's, that's there and very holy people have it. Uh, you know, saints and martyrs have it and some really special people. It's a very simple thing. It's obedience. It's God telling us what to do and then doing it. Abraham was the father of faith because the Lord said, go, and he, he went. See how complex that is? The obedience of faith. He tells Mary, this is what I'm going to do, and she says, be it unto me according to your word. And this is how we become transformed into homes for God. Well, Eleanor not only gets a house with her mother and sisters in Barton Cottage, but she meets Edward. And they prepare for marriage. A good Anglican priest. And they find a little rectory thanks to their patron, Colonel Brandon, and we read about them preparing their home, fixing the walls and the windows and the roof and planting a garden and making it this fit place for this new couple to dwell. Their families come together to assist them in that. And this is the promise of God, that he would be our groom and that he would prepare a home to dwell with us, that he would prepare our hearts, that he would heal us, that he would strengthen us, that he would build a beautiful hedgerow and a beautiful garden and that we would have a beautiful life in faithful obedience dwelling with him. This is the promise of God. This is the work of the few hours of Advent that we have left. 
because we've made, or let me just say I've made, a little bit of a mess this year. Picked up a few habits I shouldn't have, a few trains of thought, a few things I shouldn't do, a few ways of living, accumulated some things in my life that put me between, that get between me and God. And Advent is the time to clean all that away. To open the windows, to open the gate, to clean up the hedgerows, to repair the roof, to make a home for God to dwell. May he dwell in us and with us this day and forevermore. Amen.